In the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes home. It's a homecoming. And He shows up at the synagogue that He probably attended countless times as a child. A synagogue that He attended countless times as an adolescent. And now here He is, a grown man, beginning His ministry. And He goes back home and He is brought up in front of the congregation where He is going to read the Scriptures and preach God's Word to His hometown people. As I thought about this story this week, I remembered uh, some experiences I had early on as I was entering into ministry and getting back around a congregation where I had grown up. And I had opportunities from time to time to teach there and preach there. At least that's what they said I was going to be doing. And I was telling Shannon this week about how many times I just crashed and burned in those early days, not to mention in recent days, but in those early days, especially getting among people in my hometown and getting up in front of congregation that I had known as a child and as a young man. It takes a lot of grace for a congregation to hear someone that they've watched grow up. It takes a lot of patience for someone to look past the sins of a man who has been among them, where they know all of his warts and enough background to hear what this person has to say. In the case of Jesus, there's no dirt on him. What are people going to say about him? So when Jesus shows up in Luke 4 and he finds the place in the, gospel, in the, in the book of Isaiah where it is written in Isaiah 61, as we call it, and he begins to read, the scriptures tell us that everyone is speaking well of him. They appreciate what he has to say. They're looking at him with some kind of admiration. But something happens in the midst of that service that changes everything. What I want you to know as we go into Luke 4, 16 to 30, is that what Jesus reads from Isaiah 61 can serve as a kind of table of contents for the rest of the Gospel of Luke. And what you're going to see when Jesus reads this and says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, he wasn't exaggerating. He believed it was fulfilled in their hearing and that they were about to see the fulfillment of it in the course of his ministry. And so as we go forward in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see how Isaiah 61 is fleshed out in the life of Jesus. And I'll try to give you some hint of that, some idea of that as we make our way through the text today. Well, if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word as we'll be reading from Luke 4, 16 to 30. The word of God says, And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Him. And He began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three and a half or three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst... He went away. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. Today I want us to focus on Jesus who came into the world to save sinners. And as a part of doing that, I want us to understand the message that Jesus came preaching. He came preaching the message of the good news of Jubilee. Now, Jubilee is not something that we talk about enough. We don't talk about it very much. We don't talk about it nearly enough. Some of you recall that a few years ago, we used to sing a song that mentioned the year of Jubilee. But other than that, Jubilee is not a word that we use very much. If you speak Spanish, the word jubilee is used to describe someone who has reached the age of retirement. And they will say of someone that he has jubilated. He has reached his retirement age. and He can now rest and be refreshed in his final years. And so there's some understanding of what jubilee means. It's a kind of release and a kind of refreshment that God promised to give his people. Well, Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah and he reads the section of Isaiah where Isaiah lives from the Old Testament scriptures, this notion of Jubilee. Now, he doesn't use the word Jubilee, but that's what he's getting at. Jubilee is all about releasing people and resetting the stage and making things right again. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Again, this outlines his mission and purpose in the world. And so what I want you to do as you reflect on this story and think about what Jesus is doing here, I want you to understand that Jesus is trying to apply to the people in front of him something that former kings and prophets and priests refused to do for the people of God. According to Leviticus 25, once every 50 years on the Day of Atonement, God's people were supposed to observe a Sabbath of Sabbaths and the priests were supposed supposed to proclaim liberty to all the land. And the word for liberty that's used throughout the scripture means release or forgive. 
And so this year of jubilee, this year of the Lord's favor was designed and intended to be a time of release and rest and refreshment for the people of God. But you can read the Old Testament and find that the people of God resisted this notion because it was so costly for them. But Jubilee is wrapped up in the notions of redemption and restoration. Redemption because it happened on the Day of Atonement, but restoration because things that were lost are returned and things that were loaned are repaid and things that were locked up are now released. And so Jesus comes bringing all of that grace from the Old Testament that had been forfeited and set aside by the people of God. He brings all of that grace in himself to bring to bear on the people in front of him. And he is showing them that he is the embodiment of this promise of Jubilee. Jesus is in a synagogue in Nazareth. Speaking to people that he's grown up around. These people are now in a new state of exile. They're in their homeland and yet they're still under the rule of the Roman Empire. They are captives at home, so to speak. They're under house arrest. These are people that in some ways are abused and broken and crushed and despised. They are exiles in their own land. And they've got all of this historical baggage, all of this moral failure, all of this wreckage around them. And Jesus stands up and reads the word of God to them about this year of God's grace and favor, this year of Jubilee. And he applies what he says to them. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me, meaning that he has been set apart for a special mission and purpose. He comes to them not simply as another prophet, not simply as another king or another priest. He comes to them as the Christ, the one who has been anointed by the Holy Spirit for this mission. And so when Jesus reads this passage, he is identifying himself with the person speaking in the passage in Isaiah, which is not simply uh, Isaiah the prophet. It is the Lord God, but it is the Lord in the form of the suffering servant. The suffering servant is the one who is anointed with the Holy Spirit to preach this good news of jubilee to the the abused and the broken and the crushed and the despised of the world. And Jesus wants the people in his hometown to hear this good news. So he comes in the power of the Spirit to preach this gospel of liberation. And here's what he did. He's baptized with water, anointed with the Holy Spirit. He undergoes a testing in the wilderness and overcomes a series of temptations. And now he is prepared for ministry. And he stands up to his people to say, God has sent me on mission to you. And he sent me on mission to you to bring the grace of Jubilee to bear on your lives. And you notice the language that's used here, all of this language about being poor and captive and blind. He's, Jesus is describing people much like us. He's describing people around us who lack so many resources, who are at their wit's end, who can't see as clearly as they once did. People who feel trapped in their life circumstance, people who feel 
perhaps addicted to something. People who can't escape what they're involved in. And Jesus comes speaking to people like that. People like you. And what he says to them is good news. He speaks this message of good news to the poor. And the poor here can refer to people in any kind of poverty. Let's say it's material poverty, emotional poverty, or even spiritual poverty. If that describes you and you can relate to the poor in any way, then hear the good news that Jesus proclaims to you. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a reversal of what we often think of when we think of the way things ought to be. But Jesus takes things that shouldn't be according to man and makes them the way they ought to be according to God. So he flips the world around on its head. The Spirit of the Lord has sent me on mission to bind up the brokenhearted. The word for broken that you find in this text means shattered, maimed, crippled, wrecked. If that describes any of you, then Jesus came to put you back together. He came to make things right again in your life. This is the gospel. The Spirit of the Lord sent me on mission to cry freedom to captives. The phrase proclaim freedom or Cry liberty is jubilee language. It comes straight from Leviticus 25 and other jubilee related texts. And the word again means to release or to forgive. The word captive refers to a prisoner, someone who feels chained or trapped, enslaved. We look at people around us, loved ones and friends who are addicted to certain things. Or maybe they're in prison for some some reason or another. And they feel locked down and trapped. And Jesus says, there's good news even for you. If it describes you, hear the good news that Jesus proclaims to you. Your sins can be forgiven. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be released from this captivity. The Spirit of the Lord sent me on mission to preach recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus opens the eyes of the blind with a mere word. He opens the minds of the ignorant with his spirit. If this describes you, then cry out for sight and insight that you may see the light and know the truth. Jesus says the spirit of the Lord sent me on mission to set free those who are oppressed. The word for set free means to send away or to dismiss. And the word for oppressed means beat down, trampled and crushed. If that describes you, then know that Jesus came to send away the abused, the bruised, the crushed, the downtrodden. Not to send them away to get them out of his sight, not to do away with them. No, he sends them away with freedom and forgiveness in their hearts. He says, the spirit of the Lord sent me on mission to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord again refers to this concept of jubilee, that jubilee is about granting rest and release and refreshment to the people of God. So Jesus has come to proclaim to people like us, people in dire straits, people who are abused or addicted, people who are blind and broken, people who are captive and crushed, dirty and despised. He's he's come to proclaim good news to us. And what is the good news? The good news is that you can be restored and you can find rest and you can find refreshment 
in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things I want you to notice about all of this is that Jesus cares about you, body and soul, heart and mind. Sometimes we have these Gnostic views of things that Jesus only cares about our soul. He doesn't really care about our body. But that's not at all the picture he paints of his own ministry and work here, is it? He paints a picture that he cares about the whole person, body and soul, heart and mind. And this is why he preaches good news to the poor. Later in the Gospel of Luke, he will preach to a crowd on the plain and say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And like his disciples, he preaches to them. They've left everything to follow him, and he assures them that God will reward them for their sacrifices. He highlights the fact that there is a widow in his midst who gives everything she has Two small copper coins. She's poor. And yet he has come to preach good news to her. He cares about us body and soul, heart and mind. And that's why he proclaims liberty to captives. Captives like the woman who had a disabling spirit in her body for 18 years. You'll meet her later, but you'll find that she was bent over and couldn't fully straighten up. And when Jesus saw her, he calls her over. And he says, woman, you are freed. You are released from your disability. Jesus cares about us body and soul, heart and mind. And that's why he proclaims recovery of sight for the blind. Later, we'll meet a beggar who was sitting by the road to Jericho. And as Jesus passed by, the beggar says, Jesus, son of mercy, son of David, have mercy on me. Let me recover my sight, Lord. And Jesus says to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. But Jesus also opens the blind eyes of those who are only blind spiritually. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus is walking with some men who can't seem to see clearly what the Scripture said about the Christ. And they can't make sense of current events. And they're trying to make heads and tails of this, and they're lost in a fog, and Jesus walks with them and opens the Scriptures up to them, and they sit at a table with Him, and He takes bread and breaks the bread, and when He breaks the bread and blesses it, their eyes are opened, and they recognized Him. It's in having communion with Christ that we see the most clearly. Jesus cares about us body and soul, heart and mind, and that's why He proclaims jubilee to the oppressed. Like the father whose son was afflicted by an unclean spirit that seized him and made the boy cry and shook the boy and made him foam at the mouth and shattered him. Jesus comes and rebukes the unclean spirits and heals the boy and gives him back to his father. And all are astonished about this. You see, Jesus cares about us body and soul, heart and mind. The whole person is involved in the mission and ministry of Jesus. And so when he proclaims the acceptable year of the Lord to us, he is proclaiming the good news of God's grace to those who need it the most. He's sent on mission to save real people in the midst of real life. So when he says to this gathered crowd at the synagogue. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You know, people glanced at each other and thought, isn't he cute? 
You know, some probably thought, who does he think he is anyway? I mean, this is Joseph's son, right? We're the same guy. Who is he to tell us that these things are fulfilled in our hearing? Luke tells us that at that moment, people were speaking graciously about Jesus, patting him on the back, probably getting ready to say good sermon, something like that. Until they really start listening to what he has to say, because he's not taking it. He's not taking these superficial compliments from them, is he? People are speaking graciously, mumbling among themselves, and then Jesus goes for the kill shot, doesn't he? He's not standing for this, so he goes deeper in. And he starts pressing in, trying to stir up the people at the synagogue. And that's what he does. He's not only claiming that he is the Christ, the suffering servant of the Lord, but in so doing, he's also declaring that the people sitting in front of him are the poor, that they are the captives, they are the blind and the crushed. They are in need of God's gracious jubilee. So he's coming to them as the savior of the world, and they are the ones who need to be saved. And they're just not ready for this. So what he's doing here is he's crossing these, these lines, these, these man-made defenses that we set up, these uh, man-made borders that tell us you can only preach so far and not any farther. As, they, as a man told me a long time ago, I was a young man preaching out in West Texas and mostly a farming community. And this man came to me afterwards and he said, you know, at some point in that sermon, you went from preaching to meddling. And I didn't know if I should take that as a compliment or what. And I, I just said, OK, I think I said, thank you. And he looked at me funny, like, why would you thank me for that? Uh, I didn't know what meddling meant at the time, but I do now. Jesus is meddling, right? He's meddling with these people. He's getting up in their faces and trying to stir them up a little bit. And so he does something very strange to some of our ears. He's read from Isaiah 61, but then he starts preaching from the book of Kings. And we might say, wait, time out. You can't do that. If you're in preaching school or preaching class, they're telling you this is a no-no. You can't jump from one text to another. This is not the right thing to do. Well, the reason Jesus jumps from Isaiah to the book of Kings is because he's pointing to two stories that deal with Gentiles, that deal with strangers. If you remember back to the scripture reading before the sermon, you'll know that in Isaiah 61, the same passage that Jesus is reading from, God tells the people that strangers and aliens and nations are going to be a part of this mission and ministry of Jubilee. And Jesus is building on that to say this isn't a one off or a mistake. God has always worked this way. And so he highlights it for them by showing them from their own history that what he is going to do in his mission and ministry is what the prophets of God have always done. Tend to God's people, yes, but go beyond that to the nations because God's people are to be a light to the Gentiles. And so Jesus references the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. This is from 1 Kings 17. Jesus says there were many widows in Israel during the drought and the famine, but God only sent the prophet Elijah to one one widow, and she wasn't even a part of Israel. She was in Syria, outside the borders of Israel. Elijah asked the widow for bread and water, and she gave him 
what little she had. And if you know anything about that story, she really gave him all she had. Much like the widow who gave the two copper coins, this woman gives everything she has first to the Lord, and then the Lord rewards her. So God rewards her generous offering by supplying her with flour and water and oil for the duration of the drought. And Jesus says, you all know what a great story that is, but you also know that God didn't do that for a single widow in Israel. He only did it for this Gentile widow. The second story he told is about Elisha and the leper. In 2 Kings 5, we meet Naaman, the commander of the army of Aram, modern Syria. The Aramean Syrians were a thorn in the side of Israel. Raiding parties and skirmishes eventually led to an all-out war between these nations, between Syria and Israel. Naaman's wife happened to have an Israelite slave girl who informed her that there was a prophet of God in Israel that might be able to help Naaman. And so Naaman secured permission for safe passage to go and visit the prophet. And when he shows up to visit the prophet, the prophet doesn't even go out to meet Naaman. He sends a servant out to meet him. And the servant commands Naaman to go and wash himself in the Jordan River in order to be cleansed of his leprosy. After putting up resistance, Naaman finally agrees and he goes to the river and he dips himself seven times and his flesh is restored and he becomes clean like that of a young boy. And what is Jesus's point here? Jesus's point is that there were other lepers in Israel and you can read about them in the book of Kings. But they're all suffering. They're not reaping the benefits of the power of the truth of the gospel at work in the prophets. But this Gentile leper did. And so Jesus makes it clear to his hearers that God is on mission, not only for the people of Israel, but he's on mission for the nations. And God is concerned not only about the people in that synagogue, But he's concerned about outsiders who are not in the synagogue. And so Jesus is showing that he, like these other missional prophets, will be received by the Gentiles, by the nations, even if they are rejected by their own people, which they were. Now, what does all this have to do with us and where we're living and what God is doing In our world. The thing I want you to see is something that's at the heart of the mission of Jesus here. Is Jesus is concerned about the least. The most disadvantaged. The people on the margins and the edges. The people who don't seem to count. Who can't offer anything. The people who don't have pride of place. Those are the people that seem to be at the very heart of Jesus's ministry in the world. As we look around the landscape and listen to what a variety of Christian leaders have said concerning 
immigrants, for example, in our world, it's clear that many of them have forgotten the gospel of God's grace. It's clear that many of them have forgotten that Jesus Christ came on mission to the poor, the broken, the lonely. That He came to those people who are on the edge. And the Christian church needs to recover the mission of Jesus. They need to recover the year of Jubilee, the acceptable favor of God for people. And to see that Jesus doesn't come into the world to do favors for the high and mighty. He's not the mascot for those who don't have needs. He comes as the Savior and the rescuer of those who need everything and have no way to acquire it. So as we look at the world around us, we need to look at the world through the lenses of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that He gives us in the Gospel. Ask, who among you are the most needy? Who around us are the most broken? Who in our world are the people who are most desperate? Those are the people who need the gospel of grace applied to them the most. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should be at the front lines of this mission. Not at the back end, wrapped in a flag. And so Jesus comes into the world reminding His own people, and now reminding us today, that He has come for the least of these. He's come to preach good news to those who are poor and brokenhearted and captive and blind and oppressed. He's come to preach good news to those who are lowly widows in desperate need of bread for their souls and oil for their wounds. He comes to preach good news to filthy lepers in dire need of compassion and cleansing. He's come to preach good news to those who are dirty and diseased like dead men who need the cleansing word and consecrating grace of the Spirit. This is what it means to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not to preach the good news to people who are like us, who look like us and smell like us and think like us. It's to preach good news to people who are entirely different from us, from the other side of the tracks from us, from the other side of the street or the world from us. It's to remember that Jesus Christ came into the world as the ultimate immigrant and resident alien to gather up other immigrants and resident aliens to himself because they are the ones in need. He's come into the world to save sinners, to save you, to preach good news of Jubilee even to you, to proclaim sins forgiven, debts canceled, chains released. And if we're going to be on mission with Jesus in the world, these are the same things that we need to proclaim to people around us. We've got to stop holding people hostage. We've got to stop keeping people in their cages and chains and telling them this is what you deserve and this is what you get and this is what you bargained for. Too bad for you. No, we need to call people to Christ and say there is a better way. Because if Christ comes and gives us all what we all deserve, there will be grace for none. There will be justice. 
but there will be no grace. So you'll hear people talk about social justice warriors. Social justice warriors. There is a kind of justice that Jesus reveals to us here that you won't find anywhere else. Because this is a justice that is rooted and grounded in the grace and mercy of God. It is not rooted and grounded in the arbitrary laws and ambitions of men. So Jesus has come to the world to save. And the promise is that the moment you or anyone else turns from your sin and trusts Him, He declares all of your sins forgiven. He releases you from your bondage. He sets you free from your guilt. He removes from you the shame that weighs you down. And that is the gospel of grace. That is the good news of jubilee that comes to us in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Now throughout the gospel of Luke, as we go forward, we're going to see Jesus embody this and flesh it out. And we're going to see one person after another. Male, female, young, old, Jew, Gentile, insider, outsider. We're going to see them all affected by the gospel of grace at work in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that along the way, you will see yourself in some of those people and that you will see your neighbors in some of those stories as well. I want to remind you that we are on mission with Jesus Christ. And our mission is to proclaim the year of God's grace to our neighbors. Let's pray together.